Live from the Pacific Northwest, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. Real. True. Stories. May the narrative be with you. So the cab drops me off. Famous last words, right? And it's a minivan cab, and it's 10 o'clock at night on a Sunday, and I've been flying all day from Portland to Pittsburgh. And I look at this address on my hand, and I look at the address on this row house. It's one of those row houses that's wooden stairs, brick, brick outside, and it's looking a little, little de- decrepit, but, but not horrible. Now look at this address, and this is 2008, so it's well before iPhones taking over our lives and digitizing everything. So I'm hoping that this is the right address on this piece of paper. And I look up, and I say, all right, here we go. So I take these two big bags that I have, because how do you really pack for two months? This isn't a backpacking trip. This isn't study abroad. Like how do you really bring what you need for two months of whatever? So I, I, I take these two big bags up the stairs, and I stand there, and take a deep breath, and I knock. And the door opens, and there's this family staring back at me. Two kids, a mom and a dad, two dogs, and they welcome me into their home. And I look around, and the place is just filthy. Only the kind of filth that happens on a Sunday night in middle America, in a middle-class neighborhood, when you're just trying to get your kids ready for school the next day, and you've got two jobs, and you've got two dogs, and you've got video game consoles, and like an entertainment center that should have been taken to Goodwill like in 1970, and you've got piles of laundry, some of it clean, some of it dirty, and you've got dinner dishes still done, and you have basketballs, and you and just, it's just a, a little house with a lot of stuff. So I'm standing there, and they say, well, would you like the tour? <laughs> yeah. So we go up the stairs, and it's the mom leading, and I'm next, and the, the two kids are just so pumped that I'm here, right? And we've got the dad kind of like standing in the background at the end of the tour, and the two dogs following us. So we get up to the top of the stairs, and we, we first, first stop is the little bathroom. And the mom says, okay, so like help yourself with anything you need. Uh, Larry gets up about 6.30 in the morning, and then I take a shower about 6.50, and then we get the kids ready, and one kid's in the shower by 7, and then one kid's in the shower by 7.15, and then they got to catch the bus by 7.30, and then I'm on the door at 7.50, but like totally just help yourself. <laughs> just like, come on in, just, you know, when, when, whenever you need to, just, just help yourself. So the next door we go to is the kids' room. And keep in mind, it's a boy and a girl, one's in elementary school and one's in middle school, which they, they tell me all about. And there's bunk beds in this room, so, so the kids share the room. And the next door next to it is the parents' room. And I didn't really peek too much. I can be kind of nosy, you know, especially like when you're at someone else's house. But uh, I, I didn't peek too much. And then they say, and this is your room. And we open the door, and there's a mattress on the floor. And there's an old TV with like the rabbit ears. And it looks to me like it's been a kid's nursery at some point. There's balloons on the wall. <laughs> and so they say, well, just help yourself. And we're going to go to bed because it's late now. And it's a school night. And I'm laying there. And I don't really want to make a phone call because these rooms are like paper thin. And I don't really know what I'm supposed to do next. So I, I just go to sleep. So the next morning, I totally hear all the chaos of the like alarms and the kids and the like yelling to get in the shower, get out of the shower, and you know, mom needs the bathroom, and dad needs the bathroom. 
I hear it all, and I'm thinking to myself, well, what am I going to do? Like, I'm in this stranger's house, and I, I don't really know what I'm going to do, but I'm just going to maybe, I'm going to go on a run. Because back in those days, I ran a lot more. That was like, before, you know, you hit 30, and your knees start going out. So I was like, I'm going to go on a run. And I'm going to, so I, I get on my running clothes, and I put on my Nikes. I am an Oregon girl, after all. And... I say to the mom, well, do you have any suggestions? I'm really bad at directions, so I don't want to get lost here. And she said, well, just go down the street, little dead end, and take a left, and then, and then you should probably come back. Perfect. So I go down the street, and I take a left, and I run to what I think is an apartment complex. And I get to this apartment complex, and it's about 8 a.m. now on a Monday morning, and there's just activity. Something seems a little off because it's a Monday morning. So where I where I grew up, Monday mornings meant people going to work and getting in cars and going places. But but this apartment complex was just kind of there. And I get closer and I realize that this is what I consider Section 8 housing, what some people might call the slums or the ghetto or whatever. And it's in one of those massive sprawling 500 units. And there's families, and they're getting their kids off to school, and there's people on porches and hanging out on the lawns and talking, and it's not scary. It's not like I'm standing in front of us, anything scary. And the moment isn't lost on me, because I realize that I'm in Pittsburgh. I'm staying in supporter housing with the campaign, the Obama campaign, because this family, they're not millionaires. They were taking me in because this was their donation. They couldn't give 100 bucks, they couldn't give 500 bucks, they couldn't give 1,000, but they could take me in, a stranger, into their home as their way of giving back. And I'm looking at this, at this low-income housing complex, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, this is it. Because all of us, every single one of us, we're just one string, or one paycheck, or one something from middle class, to, to a low-income housing, and, and we're all just one something away from it. And that moment isn't lost on me. So I make my way back, and I eventually get on the bus, and I make it from West Pittsburgh to downtown, which was like a miracle in itself. And I get to the office, and I meet my new colleagues, and they, they're like, oh my God, tell me about your supporter housing, because mine is so awesome. I have like this really cool gay guy, like we drink red wine at night and they have this like great cheese platter when they get home and I have the empty nesters who basically are treating me like their own child and like the mom does my laundry and they tell me to just leave my grocery list on the counter and I have like my pick of the five bedrooms and the place is awesome and I drive their car and I just like they leave me dinners that I then heat up when I get home. So like, Christina, like, don't even worry about the pizza and Chinese food of the campaign. And I think to myself, the irony, right? But again, this is all part of my journey. This is, this is how it, it is supposed to happen. So I make it the two months in Pittsburgh, and that campaign journey takes me the next four and a half years to some pretty incredible places. So I go to Phoenix, Arizona the day after uh, 4th of July. I don't 
I don't recommend that, 110 degrees. I eventually go to Rochester, New York in the middle of a snowstorm the day after the State of the Union. I also don't recommend that. I got a Ford Fiesta on that trip and uh, I never cursed the White House as much as I did as driving down Rochester in a Ford rented Ford Fiesta in a snowstorm. I eventually went to other incredible places, Tokyo, Japan, highly recommended that. Air Force Two, definitely do that if you ever given them the opportunity. And along that journey, I just, I couldn't help but be grateful. Be thankful that I never got swept up in, in the bubble. Because this is a bubble, right? Every single person I met had the same wide-eyed idealism as I did. But we were told in that bubble that you're like part of something bigger, man. And this bigger, it takes you. So these, these, these colleagues I met along the way would pick up incredible talents, but also really horrible demons. There would be the, the, the people who drank too much, the people who smoked too much, smoked both things, the people who had too much sex, the people who ate too much, who didn't eat at all. You kind of you met them. And all along the way, there was this mantra of like, don't complain, because you're in the bubble. And when you're standing there, and like Air Force Two is landing, and you're, you're at a rally where there's a thousand people, like, you're there. So, like, don't complain. Just do it. So when I decided to go off that treadmill, and it is a treadmill, and I decided to step off of that treadmill and come, come do my next thing, I just was, couldn't help this longing of coming back right here to Oregon, coming back to myself, coming home. And I recently turned 30 a few months ago, and as I think about my next decade, and as I think about that next iteration of my story, and the next generation of people I'll meet along my, my journey, I can't help but think that I'm just happy to be here, I'm happy to be home to myself, and as I knock on that door of that next generation and that next story, man, I'm thankful I'll always have Pittsburgh. <laughs>